hello everyone. Man, whoo. It's uh, great to be back here. Um, I was just thinking, um, it's been a while since I have done this. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Joseph Kerr. Um, uh, I live in uh, Wyoming and uh, uh, I just uh, was blessed to just got done with uh, doing, uh, graduated from seminary. Um, and, uh, that was a great time. That was a fun time. Uh, just did that a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's been, uh, wow. Uh, it's been, it's been quite a, quite a couple of years. I was looking back on my podcast or on my, um, the episodes that I have done previously and it's been, uh, three years since I did this. So I thought, you know what, with everything going on and with all kinds of stuff, it's, uh, it's about time. To uh to do some more um and uh, that's what I'm gonna try to do I'm gonna try to to uh, put out a lot more um of these uh podcast episodes I'm hoping to do one at least once weekly we'll see how that goes I don't know if that's gonna happen for sure or not but I'm gonna try to give it a go <coughs> um yeah so uh, I uh, one thing um. That I want to talk about uh, today is kind of in the realm of spiritual warfare. We're going to be in Second Corinthians uh, chapter ten, and we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at um, uh, some other stuff. But more specifically, not only just uh, spiritual warfare, but using the scriptures. We're going to go a little more into that um, uh, later on, but. Uh, before I started, I, I was uh, just uh, before we dove into our, our, our word here. I was listening to uh, a guy by the name of uh, Owen Strawn. Uh, he is a pastor and an author. Um, and I was listening to his podcast the other day. And he was talking about uh, as Christians, we live in a, a negative, we live in a negative world. And uh, what he, he got this from another guy, and to be honest, I don't remember that gentleman's name. But uh, what basically he was saying is, as Christians, uh, being a Christian is seen as a negative thing, has a negative connotation to it. Um, and he talked about before, you know, there was that one point that it's actually a good thing to be seen as neutral, or or perhaps even neutral was good was it really bad but I got that that really got me um, uh, thinking uh, about that and uh, you know it's very very true and I've had uh, opportunities uh, to engage with people and uh, very much uh, uh, found out that is that is very true uh, so you know as I thought about that and stuff I was like well how as Christians what should our response be what should our response be, especially when we are engaging with people? So that got me thinking, and that brought me to uh, to uh, second or to Second Corinthians and Second Corinthians chapter ten. But again, before before we really dive into our, our uh, uh, into our what we're going to look at, kind of need to give a history of what was going on. Um, at that time in the Corinthians church as Paul wrote uh, chapter 10. So, the Corinthians were very, um, it was a carnal church. They were very hostile to uh, to Paul, at least a lot of them. There was a lot of uh, false teachers there. A lot of false teachers who were trying to uh, stir up trouble with Paul, possibly even doing some definitely um, calling um, uh, uh, sl basically slandering um, Paul and, and all kinds of different things uh, uh, pretty much uh, making people doubt his apostleship and uh, so uh, second Corinthians is actually his fourth letter I know he gave three letters there has been uh, three others written of course we have first Corinthians. Second Corinthians, uh, for some reason, God didn't uh, uh, think the other two was 
fire, so it's not, uh, they don't have them, and, uh, it's not viable. Um, so, but as he wrote this, uh, as what we know as Second Corinthians, because now it's first, second, second Corinthians, something in the Bible, um, so, uh, as we look at that, um, Paul is, uh, is now writing to uh, uh, a certain uh, group in the church because at this time he did actually reconcile with most of the church. However, not all of the church. There are still some who are kind of there's kind of uh, a little hostile, and the embers of you know uh, were still burning against uh, against Paul. So it wasn't quite fully extinguished. So this is why he, Paul, is uh, uh, trying to to take care of. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to uh, read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 6. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence of am lowly among you, but being an absent, absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is fulfilled. Excuse me, your obedience is fulfilled. So, <clears throat> first thing, now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Notice that he's begging. He, uh, you know, uh, this isn't the, the only place that we see uh, Paul beg and to ask. Um, as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, he, he uh, begs, he says we should beg people uh, to come reconcile, right? So this isn't the only time that Paul has uh, has done that. He actually did it uh, in uh, Acts uh Acts chapter twenty six as well. He uh, he begged uh, the governor uh, to hear him out. Pilate, I believe. Um. So he's begging. So this is he. Uh, so he's saying he's coming with meekness, and he wants he's begging them to to change it. Um, and uh, you know it's. Meekness is with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness, I heard meekness, but there's meekness is a power under control. It's kind of like a horse. A horse is a you know a beautiful animal, a very uh, powerful animal. It can be used for for a lot of good things, but when it's untamed, it can be also very dangerous. And that's the same thing with meekness. And that's kind of what Paul is pleading with. Who in uh says who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. He's being sarcastic when he says that because the Corinthians accused Paul of of basically kind of being a, a coward, and they said, well, when he wrote, he was a lot stronger when he wrote his letters, uh, and uh, you know when he was with them, he wasn't that bold, and basically we're calling him a coward. So right here, he's kind of he's kind of uh, uh, being sarcastic. He's not necessarily being mean, but he's being sarcastic, and uh, and kind of, if you will, uh, use the the kids, uh, what the kids say today is he's clapping back, um, at at the uh, at the Corinthians, um. So it says, but uh, but I beg you that I am present. I may not be bold. So he t he, again, he says, I beg you. He, he says, uh, 
Again, he's begging, he's begging, and he says, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold uh, with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. So two things is one, he's saying, I hope I don't have to. I see, because he was planning in about two months to go visit them. And he's saying, I hope by the time that I get there, that this problem would be uh, taken care of, and I won't have to, to be um, bold or, or have to do so he's asking, saying, I'm begging you to, to reconcile and let's fix this. Uh, and notice he says, "Be uh, again in verse, uh, verse 2, it says, be bold against some. So again, that's where we kind of get that there wasn't everybody, but just a certain, certain group. Who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. He's uh, right here. He's actually, uh, it's a play on words. And what he's saying again, that was another thing that he was accused of. Paul was accused of being fleshly. Of course, as we know, uh, as Christians, that walking in the flesh is not a good thing. That means that you're you're sinning or or you know, uh, doing things against God. And uh, they were saying that you know Paul was doing this out of uh, selfish ambitions and that. He, uh, he didn't really care about them, but he just uh, wanted their money is basically uh, what what they were they were saying <clears throat> for the but so he's saying is yes um, I, I uh, or he, what Paul is saying is no I, I did not do those things out of flesh but yes I am human that's why he says uh, though I, I uh, for for though we walk in the flesh um, he's Let's back up uh, to uh, verse 2. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence, but which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh. Again, he's saying, yeah, we, don't, we, we are in the flesh. We are human, but we don't work, we, we're not those things that you see. But, and this is kind of where we want to zero in on, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to put all disobedience uh, in your so this is uh, what Paul is is uh, talking about. This is kind of this is definitely military language that Paul is using. Um, he's uh, he's using military language and and uh, it says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Uh, now the word um, stronghold uh, can be either uh, a fortress or even a prison. And we'll get to that in a second where, where that kind of will make sense. But the Corinthians definitely knew what he was talking about. And he knew what a fortress was. They knew what a fortress was because they had this big fortress in Corinth that people would know and would have known um, and, and used. So it wasn't something foreign to them what he was saying. But what he's getting at here is he's saying that people have a little, uh, they they lock themselves up, if you will, in a fortress, or like I said, in a prison of their own thoughts and what they think, and they put up walls, right? They put up walls, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and are very, very uh, fortified in what they think, and we definitely... Boy, do we see this today, do we not? That people uh, are, are very uh, dogmatic in what they believe. They're very uh, adamant about what they believe. And this is both in the church. Uh, no, of course, this, the church is what Paul is talking about, is, is the church. Uh, however, I believe this can still apply to those who are, um, who are not Christians. And they do. They they 
uh, definitely put up that wall. And it's all re all false religions. If it's uh, Buddhism, if it's uh, Jehovah's Witness, if it's Mormonism, um, whatever it is, if it's a false uh, uh, religion, um, they they do this. And by the way, all of this stuff that I mentioned is all this man-made ideology and all this stuff is uh, from Satan and and demons. Now I want to stop here. Clarify something that I, I got what I bought to say from uh, John MacArthur. I think this is very true. Now, he, we, we are now days in a very much in a spiritual battle. However, that doesn't mean we go around and we go seek demons and we're going chase demons and, and, and hunting demons and all, all this stuff. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that they're behind all this stuff, it comes from them. Satan created this ideology and all this. It's from the devil. Now, that doesn't mean we go and, and like I said, go demon hunting and all this stuff. I, I want to make that clear. That's not what I'm saying. But it, we are very much in a war, uh, and very much in a spiritual war. Um, but this is what, what I want to see is what our weapons are. And, and again, if um, they're in a fortress... How do you how do you get somebody out of a fortress? Well, back then, of course, they would have uh, trebuchets, catapults, uh, all, all kinds of different things. Now, however, I think the, what we try to do, and I've done this, and is as Christians, is we we uh, we get kind of sucked into the argument, and we try to use little slingshots uh, and try to you know uh, shoot at the fortress with our little um, you know. Sling shops or pop guns or whatever you want to call it, and try to get uh, get them out of the fortress. I mean, maybe you might get you know might launch one and hit somebody and uh, you know cause a little sting or whatever, but it's not uh, adequate. And what I mean by that, by a slingshot, is we use fleshly arguments a lot of times. We if it uh, be uh, political talking points, uh, philosophy. Uh, everything other than what is the word of God. And that's what um, Paul is talking about. When he says the weapons, he, he doesn't say that, but like John, again, like John McCarthy said, it's kind of, he doesn't have to because it's obvious that's what he's talking about. I think he, he even knew that was obvious to them that's what he's talking about. And what he's saying is, is you want a war, then I will war. But I ain't going to come at you with just fleshly things. I'm going to use the big guns, if you will. I'm, I, you know, you even nowadays, uh, put it in nowadays terminology. You're not going to use a paintball gun when you can have missiles, right? He's not, I'm not bringing the missiles. But what he's talking about is the word of God. And I wanted to see something here. Um, you know, we, we uh, uh, oftentimes we talk about the word of God and everything. But I want us to see, see something really quick. Um, the what the Bible itself says about the Word of God. Um, this is um, Hebrews chapter or chapter four, verse twelve um, and thirteen. It says, "For the and we kind of know this one. This was a popular one, but I wanted to see this. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as." the division of a soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intention of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's Hebrews 12, 13, uh, chapter 4, 12, 13. What, what I find... Um, kind of sad is a lot of times as Christians, um, you know, we quote that verse and we see it, but then all, a lot of times we pull out little butter knives and try to do things with a butter knife. You know, um, I, personally, as I, <clears throat> I personally would ha have like to have a surgeon to have a sharp knife, right? To do a little, an, uh, a very sharp and precise cut to do what he needs to do so that I can heal. 
not some some uh, some butter knife that yeah it may not feel bad but guess what if you use a butter knife to try to do surgery all you're going to do is screw things up and it's you don't want to mess things up right you want something that is precise something that will cut through so that then the healing can start right and and what gets me is as Christians is we don't often take up the sword right in Ephesians uh, Ephesians 6 Paul calls it the, the sword of the spirit and uh, what's interesting about the sword of the spirit or is that it's the only the only gear mentioned there that is both defensive and offensive it's both defensive and offensive and uh you know what what so what it really puzzles me when Christians don't pick up their sword and get ready to do battle and what's even sadder is when they do go in there um they uh I've had people um tell me or, or and say you know you should don't use your religion or or don't use the bible in in the, in this argument or or with me I don't care about it well, what's what's sad is a lot of Christians, unfortunately, listen to it, and that's kind of like if uh, if the barbarians, right, were coming down into the Romans, and uh, the barbarians were like, "Hey, hey, guys, uh, can can you please can you please uh put your swords down?" And then the Roman centurion's like, "You know what? You're right. We're not we're not put it down. You're right. You got it. We're don't put it down." And then the centurion uh, tells his guys, you know what, guys? Not only will we put down our sword, let's take off our helmet and put down our shields, okay? Let's do that. That's That would be ludicrous, right? But sadly, that's what I see a lot of Christians do is we don't um, engage with the proper tools. And we need to start, when we engage with people, we need to start um, with the proper tools. And I want us to see... Um, uh, a couple more things here. You, this is uh, this is Second Timothy three, uh, fourteen through sixteen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and be convinced of knowing from who you have le- learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for all, or for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, second, this is that was Second Timothy three fourteen through sixteen. Again, what is he saying? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All scripture. And what is that again? Uh, you know, I just talked about people talking about, well, you shouldn't use the word of God when uh, when you engage or, or stuff. And that's not just out in the world, ladies and gentlemen. That's also in the church. Um, it's sad, uh, sad to say it, but it's true. Uh, Andy Stanley, not that long ago, said that we should unhitch from the, that we should unhitch from the, uh, the Old Testament. Well, if you unhitch from the Old Testament, then there goes Jesus. And, and, and he said, well, what? Well, because if you unhitch from Jesus, uh, from the Old Testament, that's Genesis. One, that's the creation. We know that um, Jesus was in there, in the, in the beginning. Also, it talks about sin. So if you get rid of the Old Testament, we, there's no need for, uh, uh, there's no mention of sin. So if there's no mention of sin, then there's no, no need for a Savior. Then why have Jesus? Um, and then also the same thing is if you get rid of Genesis, then you get rid of the, uh, Genesis 3.15, which talks about what will happen to say, uh, to Satan and, uh, talking about Jesus coming and stomping on his, uh, on his head. So if you get rid of the Old Testament, you get rid of that. Now, um, as, as a lot of you probably heard, um, the saying, uh, and it is, I will admit, a little cliche, but it's kind of true is uh the 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 statement where you hear people say his story and that's exactly what it is it's jesus story it's his story as in history is his story and that's and that is true 
Um, but and uh, it's just it just amazes me um, that um, you know that that we still have that 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 mindset that we don't have to to use the word of God. Um, so I want us to look at another one here um, to uh, just uh, uh, another one here. Give me one second. So the the next verse is. Uh, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 7, it says this, The voice said, Cry out, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all is loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. That's just one of those Isaiah 40, uh, 6, uh, 7, and 8. Um, and uh, just again, just to, to reiterate that the, the word of God is forever. You know, um, and uh, again, it is powerful. It lasts any man-made argument out there. Men's arguments change, right? I mean, you can tell even nowadays from what was argued uh, 50 years ago is totally different than what is being said and argued uh, to this day. But the Word of God stays and is true. Um, you know, I just talked I talked about uh, Andy Stanley and uh, about uh, all his thing, but he's not the only one that I, I've heard unfortunately say stuff even in the political arena uh, Matt Walsh uh, who is Catholic um, a couple years ago he wrote an article about saying basically the same thing that we shouldn't use the word of God to argue with people and, and all this stuff and and uh, it just it, it just saddens me because uh, I mean our authority is the word of God right in our, our next verse that I like to read is, of course, is, uh, is John, John 1, 1. Uh, John 1, 1, uh, says, uh, in the beginning, the word was God, and the word was with God, right? The word was God, and the word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So like I said earlier, talking about, um, you know, with Andy Stanley and, and uh, him unhitching, you unhitched, um, unhitched from the, the Old Testament, you wouldn't have Jesus. You wouldn't have, uh, uh, the, the, you wouldn't have the Old Testament. Or the New Testament, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is talking about Jesus. And uh, like I said, it's just it just kind of saddens me that that uh, you know that we we uh, as Christians that we do that. And um, but you know, as I was thinking about this, uh, I was uh, I happened to be listening to a uh, uh, a book called um, How to Eat Your Bible. It's uh, by Nate Pickowitz, I think it's how he says his name. I'm not sure, to be honest. I probably butchered that. But the, the book is called How to Eat Your Bible. Very good book. Um, and he was in there. He was talking about we need to uh, love the uh, the Word of God. And, uh, and as I was listening to that, it clicked. And I, I, I was just thinking, I said, I don't, as Christians... Do we love the Word of God? Do we love the Word of God as we ought to? And uh, I was thinking it's kind of like if, um, you know, if you're married, um, either, you know, your husband or, uh, or, or your wife. I'm going to use my wife since I am a guy uh, and I am married. Um, 
So, you know, it's great to defend your wife, right? You want to defend your wife. If somebody says something, you absolutely want to defend your wife. You should stand up for your wife. Absolutely. Um, as a husband or, or vice versa, like I said, if, you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody about your husband or your wife, you want to stand up for them and you need to defend them, correct? That, that, that's awesome. That's kind of what we've been talking about. But what would happen if you were constantly defending them but then when you got home, didn't want to spend any time with them. You, you, you didn't want to do anything with them. You didn't want to continue to get to know them. Well, that would put some friction on your relationship, wouldn't it? Um, for sure. And and that's exactly what we do when when we, we don't um, uh, get into our word and when we don't seek the relationship uh, with continued relationship with God, um, like you said, it, it, we can get in that habit where we, we think we're, we're we're doing all this stuff, we're we're uh, we're we're defending and uh, all this stuff, but yet we're not spending time. Uh, we're not we're not spending time with our with our spouse, and that's the same thing we do with with our God. And it's uh, again, it's it's a it's a sad it's a sad thing. And uh, I want us to take us to uh, to uh, Psalms, um, Psalms one nineteen. And this David he says, uh, says, "I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes." This is, uh, that was Psalms 119.47-48. This is Psalms 119.97. How I love your law, it is my meditation all day. Psalms 119.13, or 113, excuse me. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. Therefore, I love your commandment. This is Psalms 119.127. Therefore, I love your commandment above gold. Yes, above fine gold and I'll read uh, there, there's a whole slew in 119 it goes on and on but um, I want I want to read one more here it says Psalms 119 140 your word is very pure therefore your servant loves it so that ladies and gentlemen that's this uh, the the authors here of Psalm uh, is expressing his love uh, for uh, the word of God. And how how often do we uh, do we express that, and how often do we actually get in to the Word of God, and and I think that that's part of it why we don't because I think one is Christians don't love the Word of God, and I think like I said it's uh um you know when we train as soldiers if you're training uh, you have to train in the Word of God. And like a soldier, you have to train with your weapon, and um, and you, and I just don't think as as uh, as Christians we, we we see it that way, and we don't take it serious, but we definitely um, we definitely need to. And like I said, I don't mean to say this to beat anybody up. By no means, I've done it, um, and it was just a good when I was listening. That was just a good reminder that we need to love. Uh, Word of God and to know the Word of God and know what it says. Because here's the thing, when you're arguing, debating with people or engaging with people, proclaiming the gospel, which is what we should be doing is proclaiming the gospel. Um, we should be ministers of reconciliation. And um, a- as we do that, um, we need to know what it says because guess what? People, people know it. Even non-believers may know the Word better than you. I'm not saying all of them, but but very well, could be, um, you know. So you need to to be ready. And as Paul, like our, our text says, Paul says, you you got to be ready to tear down that fortress, and you you sure better have the white weapons. And that weapon is the word of God. Um, so uh, we're gonna I'm gonna close this here. Um, man, it's uh it's really great to be back. Um, I, I definitely enjoy this. I, I hope these 
uh, podcast that I'm doing are, are beneficial to everyone. And, uh, yeah, um, it's just, uh, it's just great to be back. Like you said, I'm going to, uh, try to put some other ones, uh, back or put some other ones out there. Um, and, uh, just, uh, I enjoy doing this and this was a great, uh, study and I, I hope you all enjoyed it and, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see, you uh, next week. Um, and this is, um, this is strong. Uh, my uh, the name of my podcast is uh, Strong Foundations. I hope you all have a great day. Let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. I just pray that we would love your word, and I just pray that we would seek you, and that we would pick up our weapon, and that we uh, would realize that we are in a spiritual battle we are in a warfare and uh, i just uh, pray that we would use the right weapons and we just thank you so much for all you do for us in jesus name amen hello everyone we are back again with a another podcast it's uh good to be back and doing this once again um oh man uh this this one's gonna be a little a little different podcast it's a little sadder podcast um by now i'm sure everyone um has uh heard about the the, the shooting in texas and uh, everything that went down there, and and very sad, and and, and very tragic, and my my heart goes out to uh, all the peoples in, in Texas, and and uh, those families of the victims um, that were killed, and uh, oh, man, but I'm gonna kind of touch on this today and talk about this a little bit today, because as always, it it seems every time, every time there's something like this happens. This whole debate sparks, right? We know that, and uh, of course, the debate about about guns and that we should ban guns. And to be honest, um, I'm probably not going to say anything necessarily that hasn't been said, or anything necessarily new, but I I, I just felt that I I wanted to weigh in on this, um, and uh, I I feel that um, we need to look at this, and we need to look at this through the the lens of the Bible, as always, that's that needs to be our number one goal. And anything like this happens, or anything happens, we need as especially as Christians, we need to go to the Bible, and we need to know in in what the Bible says. <clears throat> so we're gonna do that. So first off, no, guns are not the issue. I said again, guns are not the issue. The issue is a sin issue. I'm going to say that again. The issue is a sin issue, not a gun issue. No matter what we do, all the gun laws in the world, banning guns is not going to change the sin issue. Or the heart issue. The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at at that and how he changes us. Um, our, our text, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a, several texts here. But um, the, our first text, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 14, 5 through 21. I know a lot of you who, uh, who who may know me. You know I go to this. I try to this text many times. I preached on this text several times, but I, I just know that um, we're gonna go back to it because I think it's very important. So um, we're gonna go. Paul just gives us a great example of what the gospel does. Not only w- what it does for non-believers, but how as Christian, what is our response to it? 
we're going to take a look at it. This is what I want to see. I'm going to start in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for those and rose again. Okay, so he's talking, verse 14 is talking about for the love of Christ compels us. Paul is here saying it's kind of a two thing. He's saying one, Christ's love compels them to do, um, do what they do, and it's also that loves their love for Christ also compels them. So it's kind of a two two thing. Um, so it says, uh, "For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died." Meaning, well, the one here. One died, and then all died, is Jesus. He died for all. And all here is talking about all who believe in him. All who um, repent. Now, repenting means, and we're going to talk a little bit more on in chapter 15. We'll see that a little clearer. Or not chapter 15, excuse me, verse 15. Uh, repenting means to stop. Not just stop what you're doing or a sin you're doing. It means to stop that sin and then turn towards God. Okay? You stop your sin and then you turn towards God. That is repentance. We're going to come back to that a little in a second about because if you just stop, that's just, in a way, that's just moralism. That's not, it doesn't do anything. You need to stop and turn to God. Okay, and then verse 15, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Meaning, once we are Christ, that we live for Christ. It's, uh, we, uh, Jesus, you hear the saying, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Jesus is literally our Lord over all things. And we live for him, not ourselves. Verse 16, this is kind of where I want us to focus on, okay? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things all <clears throat> Behold, all things have become new. Now all, all things okay, I'm gonna stop right there. That's verses uh, sixteen and seventeen. Okay, so from now on we regard no one according to flesh. It means that before you are a Christian, right? If you are um if you were a Christian, we, you know that we used to see people, you know, as on the in on the outside, right? We saw saw their looks, we saw um, you know, their their strength. We saw fleshly stuff. We judged them by fleshly stuff. We looked at them um, with fleshly eyes, right? And what he's saying now, we stop looking at people that way, and now we see either one of two things: see, we see somebody for for their soul. We, we see them, um, if they're a Christian, we see them as a fellow Christian. If they're lost, we see them as a lost person. We don't just see them for, for their looks or for their strengths or for their fleshly things. We see people differently. We see them with love. We, we don't see them, um, like I said, we don't see them as fleshly. The second part, he moves uh, to, uh, therefore, uh, says, uh, now things or, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, old things have passed away, before things have come to new. Um, excuse me, I went back up here. Even though we have now known Christ according to the flesh. That's the same thing, right? We now don't look at Christ the same way. We look at Christ differently. We look at Christ as who he is. We look at Christ as he is the Son of God. He is God. 
right? He is uh, uh, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we see him as who he is. We don't see him as just a good teacher or, or anything like that. We see Jesus as who he is. You see him as our Lord and our Savior. And Paul is a great example of this. Um, Paul, as we know, he was on the road to Damascus, right? And Jesus literally, Jesus changed him. Uh, he And he not only saw Jesus differently, he saw Christians differently. Because Paul was on his way to persecute the Christians. But once Jesus got a hold of him, he changed his heart. He changed his heart. And not only did he see Christians differently, he saw Jesus differently, and he even ended up, in the end, Paul gave up his life for Jesus and following Jesus. And that's a changed heart, ladies and gentlemen. And so we're going to go, what, what causes that? What causes that change? Now, all these things are from God. Okay? All these things are from God. It is God who changes our hearts okay it is god who changes our heart and how did he do that now all these things are are of god who has reconciled himself through jesus christ okay how do he, he how does he change us through jesus christ and he has given us himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I'll come back to that. Now, uh, so how did he give himself, or how, how did Jesus reconcile? He died on the cross for us. He gave us his righteousness that we didn't uh, deserve, and he took God's wrath and gave us his righteousness. Now, I've heard a story, and I shared this a few times with other people, um, but I, I, it helps us a little bit to get a little understanding um, of, of what Jesus kind of did for us. So there's, I guess this is a true story. This is a story I heard. I heard of this. There's these uh, parents that were getting a divorce, and uh, it was a bad divorce, and the little, the little boy was in the courthouse, uh, courtroom with his parents, and uh, at one point, he came up to his mom, and he came up to his dad, and he put their hands together. And that's kind of a picture of what Jesus did. He took our hand, and he took God's hand, if you will. And, and get me, this is just a, a illustration. Jesus did much more. Matter of fact, what Jesus did, he not only, he didn't reach out with little kid's hand. He reached out to us with blood-stained scarred nail scarred hands and he reached out with one hand he said come come to the father and seeing the hesitation in our hearts he reached out with the other hand and said here take my righteousness and come to the father ladies and gentlemen that's what changes hearts it's what Jesus did on the cross we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. We need, the world needs, the nation needs, changed hearts that only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's it. Now as Christians, I'm not going to go much more on this, but on, as Christians, what is our, our duty then? Our job, it says here, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the world of reconciliation. Now when we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in himself. Now, what he is saying now is, okay, now, I and I always put it this way. What we just talked about, it saves us, right? That was verses 14 through 15. The gospel saves us. 16 through 18, the gospel changes us. About 19 through 21, uh, as, as Christians, 
If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. As Christians, it is our job to go and be ambassadors for Christ. And I put it this way before, and I'm going to put it this way again. We have to get out of the palace and go into the world and be ambassadors. And what is our message? As an ambassador, our message is to proclaim the, the message of the king, the king. And what is that message? It's reconciliation. It is to be, that we tell people that they need to be reconciled with Jesus Christ. And we just talked about how that works. It's through Jesus Christ. Put our faith in Jesus Christ from what he did on the cross for us. And he rose again. That's also very important. He died on the cross. He rose again, conquering death. And by the way, he's coming again. But we put our faith in Jesus Christ, repent, and uh, follow him. Right? That goes back to verse 15, that we no longer live for ourselves. That needs to be our message. Our message shouldn't be about, now, about gun control. And, and and I I hear a lot of people I hear a lot of people say well it's on the Christian side and the conservative side say it it uh it's a hard issue or it's even they will say uh, it's a sin issue absolutely absolutely and that's what I just said so I agree with that however I I I see that they say that and then five minutes later they're in there arguing about gun control again I want to be Understood, and I want to be made clear. I am not for gun control. It will do absolutely nothing. Okay? So do not hear me wrong. I am not for gun control. However, dear Christians, our message is that of reconciliation, not to argue debates about gun control. Okay? It is reconciliation. You want to change hearts and we want to make a difference in this nation and in the world. We do what we are told to do right here by what Paul said. It's we are to be ambassadors. And as an ambassador, like I said before, the message is that of the king. Jesus is our king. And what did he say? It lays it out here to tell us reconciliation, right? And it just explained everything what that means. So we're to preach and proclaim the gospel. That's our job. Now, I want to talk about something a little more here. And I kind of alluded to this a little bit. Now, I just talked about the, the liberal side, right? That they try to go with guns, and it's all about guns, and trying to, that the government needs, we, we know the argument. I'm not going to get that much deep into it. But on the other side, I, I think with, and I'm not trying to be political here, I'm really not. So that's not my intentions. I honestly don't like politics. I always try to get into it that much. Um, but I think this needs to be said. Um, we also have, and what I'm going to say on both sides, this is, I realize what I'm going to say is controversial, and what I already say is controversial. Frankly, I don't care. I'm just going to be blunt. I don't care. Um, but I, what I see on the conservative side and what what I see that the issue there is, they say yes, it is. Uh, it, it is a heart issue. Okay, a lot of times on the conservative issue they say heart issue, but and they say we 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 need to have morals. Great, they're saying yeah, it, it is an issue that's moral. It's not guns that causes it's morals. That's great. I'm for morals. However, and, and even the Bible. We need to know the moral God or the moral laws of God. And, and in that is thou shall not murder. Why? It's a sin. Okay? It's a sin against God. Now, the law is like a mirror. The law, the moral law of God, shows us uh, that we need a Savior. That we need saving. It's not there to save us. It's there to show us that we need saved. Right? Um, Jesus said if uh, you hate your brother, you you murdered in your heart. So therefore you sin. No one can keep the law. The only one that has ever kept the law or fulfilled the law was Jesus Christ. We cannot. So yes, we need the law because the law shows us we can't do it. We need a savior. 
But what the that I feel that the conservative or Republican side does, they stop. They stop with the morals. They just say, "Well, we 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 need morals, and and, and uh, we we need to uh, enforce morals." Okay, again, I said morals, but here's the thing: morals don't save people and don't necessarily change your heart. Like I said earlier, when I was in verse 15, repentance doesn't mean just to stop doing something. It means to turn to God. So simply just stopping something, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If you have a bad habit or whatever, um, I've, I've had to stop some stuff that was in my life. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But the focus on isn't merely, it doesn't save you. And that's what I'm concerned about is salvation for people. Okay? So just simple morals, simple morals do not save you. And again, I want to be clear, I'm not against morals, but it doesn't save you. The second issue that I have that I see in all this is um, the church even. Now, the church a lot of times will say, um, you know, yeah, you need, you need saving, um, you know, Jesus Christ. And, and, and they'll get there. It's a hard issue. However, and this isn't every church, so don't hear me wrong here. It's not every church, but I do see this. It's starting to, I see this a lot. Um, I, I see that in the church, that the church is starting to, to soften sin. We're starting to soften sin or, or how we talk about sin. For instance, uh, there's two words and there's probably more um, that I've heard and kind of buzzwords that I've seen in various places. And uh, it, it started me thinking a lot. And they're kind of, you know, words that you don't really, you got to kind of pay attention. It's subtle, but it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's softening sin. And the two words that I've seen, and I think there's probably more, is one is brokenness. Okay? We are not broke. We don't need to just be fixed. We need a savior. We are sinners, not just broken. The other one, which is actually even more uh, interesting, I guess, for lack of a better word, is we're uh, our mess. Jesus will come into our mess. We're not a mess. We don't need to just clean up stuff. We need a Savior. We are sinners. We have fallen. We're not broken. It's not a broken world. It's a fallen world. From the time of Adam and Eve, when they sin, when Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan, we are a sinful world and a fallen world. It's a fallen. We have a sinful nature. Okay, it's not broken. I want to read something that uh, Virgil Walker said about this. Um, I saw a, a comment that uh, that he made on uh, Facebook, and it was really good. And I was like, "Man, this is spot on!" And uh, and and. Uh, I just want to read it. So this one gal, I don't know who this is, and I won't mention her name because I don't know who she is. But uh, she said, if Christian songwriters had a had to replace the word broken with words like wretched, depraved, or sinful, then they'd quit singing about themselves. Daryl B. Harrison. Oh, I said Virgil Walker. Sorry, it wasn't Virgil Walker. It's uh, Daryl B. Harrison. I can't say. Um, Daryl is a... Uh, He's a pastor, or he's a speaker, and uh, he has a just, I think it's Just Thinking podcast. Very good. Um, if you see him, listen to his stuff. But anyways, he says this, and, and he says this in agreement with this gal. He says, I'll admit it. The idea that we are all broken is a pet peeve of mine. We're not broken. As if we simply needed to be repaired. We're dead and need to be regenerated. Broken people need a fixer, not a savior. They need self-applied glue, not vicariously applied blood. Amen. Amen. And we're going to take a look at this. And he's not just saying this. This is a biblical principle that, that we heard. Um, it says, this is Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says this. <clears throat> and you he made alive who were dead in, in trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the son of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And here's the key, ladies and gentlemen, one of the probably the best two words in the Bible. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, again, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared before the hand that we should walk in them. Okay, so as I noticed, I, I read the full thing just to give us a lot more context. But it says uh, here in um, verse 1, it says, Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, did he say who were dead in their brokenness? Nope. Did it say dead in their brokenness and their messes? No, it says trespasses and sin. Dear church. We need to say it. It is sin. Not, don't soften it. We look around and we wonder why all this stuff is happening in the world. And then I think sometimes we don't look at ourselves or in the church. And by the church, by the way, I want to mean the church. I mean the body of Christ. And I mean pastors, teachers, Christians in general. Don't soften sin. God didn't. It's in his word. It's the word sin. Don't soften it. Don't use any other word. And he said, well, Joseph, this is kind of trivial. No, because if you don't, as I've heard many people say, words have meaning. Okay? Words have meaning. If you use other terms like messes and brokenness, it, it softens it. It makes it sound like we can save ourselves. And to be honest, it almost sounds it's a little bit victim. Okay? It's a little bit victimizing ourselves. And it's like, oh, well, I'm broken. No, we are sinners. Say it. Sinners. We're not a mess. Jesus didn't come up. Um, I, he didn't, I, I work in, uh, at, a, at a hospital. I work in a housekeeping. Jesus didn't come with his little broom and just sweep us up. No. He died on the cross for our sins. In matter of fact, I'll be honest. If if you're saying what that anything else, you're cheapening what Jesus did on the cross. I'm gonna say it again. You're cheapening what Jesus did on the cross. Please stop. It's sin. Call it sin. Okay. I, I, I'm not trying to get worried, but it but just irritates me because then we saw all, all this stuff and then it's like all, all this stuff going on in the world and, and all this stuff and, and what are we, and we wring our hands. But ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, as we just read, we have the answer. <laughs> we, we do. We have the answer. Now, I want to be clear on something. We can't change people's hearts, right? We just did that. And, and I don't want to repeat myself. Only God can. But we are to go out there and to be ambassadors and proclaim the gospel. You want to make a difference? You want to change things? You're tired of this happening? You're tired of seeing our kids, our young kids getting shot up in schools? Go out there. 
May this motivate you and go out there and spread the gospel. Don't just advocate for gun control or for 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 gun rights or whatever. Go out there. You can you are obligated as a Christian to go out there and preach the gospel. We just simply need to go do it. Okay? Preach the gospel. But no, it's not a gun issue. It's a sin issue. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come before you, and our hearts are broken about this situation. Lord, there's so much stuff and so much um, confusion, so much uh, hostility. Lord, first off, I just pray for... Um, these people and and their uh, families and, and even the I pray for for the victims' family. Um, Lord, I know they I believe they lost two people, um, him and I believe his grandma. And uh, I, our hearts just go out. But Lord, I I I pray for those victims and I pray not only just for healing but for salvation through this. Lord, and I, and I pray for us as Christians that we would be bold and we would proclaim the gospel. And and only the gospel, and to be able, willing to share it with each, with other people and proclaim it and shout it from the rooftop, and that we would no longer, as a church, would be soft on sin, but we'd call it what it is. But Lord, I I, I pray that we not just call it what it is, but Lord, we know that there is hope, and you are the answer. Jesus is the answer to sin. That's the answer. And we thank you so much for him. In Jesus' name, amen.